All right. Uh, we have been talking about the fruits of the spirit. Oh, I was like, fruits. <laughs> the thoughts. Okay. Fruits of the spirit. All right. So the fruits of the spirit are love. Love, joy, joy, peace, 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 patience, patience, kindness, kindness, goodness, goodness, goodness. faithfulness, faithfulness. Ooh, that's tough. They get longer, I think, as we go. It does. And self-control. Self-control. So we have gone through a whole series of them and stacked them up to show you that love is the basis of all the fruits of the Spirit, okay? And love is the overarching fruit that everybody shows. And we talked about yielding. Remember way back to the yielding. And what did yielding mean? Giving way. Giving way, right. Because you, when you come to the yield sign, you don't just go real fast. If there is a car in your way, you give way to them and let them through, okay? So you are yielding to God and yielding to his spirit in order to let God through. Let God come through you and give you these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, okay? Well, meekness, yes. So we will talk about that. Yes. Gentleness is the one we're going to talk about. And if you turn to... Oh, well, we're already, we already went over them, so we don't need to go back to... But that's in Galatians 5.22. Actually, you can. Why don't you turn to Galatians 5.22? Because you are right. It doesn't say gentleness. It says meekness. Meekness and yes, instead of self-control, it says temperance. Okay, temperance is an old word uh, that was used a long time ago. They used to have temperance societies. You know what that was? Anybody know what a temperance? Yeah. So they, well, they were not. It wasn't illegal in all places at the time when they had temperance societies. It became legal and then re-legalized. Okay, um, it became illegal and then became re-legalized later. But the temperance society was a movement to say, I should have self-control. And I should not drink alcohol. That was the temperance society. And we have a temperance society uh, photograph from 1909 from our church. So if you've ever looked at the great big picture blown up like that, there's a whole group of people. And if you look in the corner, I think of it, it says the IOGT, which is the something good order of Templars or temperance group. Okay. So if you look at that, that's what it's supposed to be, uh, is that group of a temperance group. And there was a big movement long ago. That was just a side story just because it was cool. Uh, so you can look for that, and we have a lot of people in our church back from the turn of the century that went to church here that were part of that group. Probably millions. What? Well, there were lots of people, yes, across the whole country, but there was a group of 30 or 40 or something 
Okay, so read Galatians 5.22, please, for me, because... Faithless, yep. Gentleness and self-control. Okay, so, and then you're right. In five twenty-three, says. Okay, so we have the word instead of of gentleness, we have this word meekness. Meekness. Let's start out at the very beginning. Meekness does not equal weakness. Okay. Jesus is said to be meek. Lots of people, if they use the word meek, they think it is a meek and mild person, right? That's a phrase that gets used a lot is meek and mild. That does sound so like weak, though. It does sound like weak. And everybody says, well, that must mean weak because when a, a meek person comes along, what do they do? They're humble. Yeah. What do they, how do they react? They don't really react if you're mean to them, though. They don't react if you're mean to them, or at least they don't fight back necessarily, okay? So, if you go back to what the word meekness in the Bible really means and look back at its roots, it comes from. The word, essentially, of a wild stallion. Is that a is this stallion stand for horse? Stall yes, a stallion is a uh, male horse, right? That is free and wild. Okay, and so, but it's not the only part of it. It is. It stands for a wild stallion, of course. And what do you think of when you think of a stallion? What are they? I just think of a horse. Strong. And fast, and what do they do? Most horses will actually run away if you approach Whatever them. they want, right? They run away, and nobody is their boss, right? Technically, not all male horses are strong. Not, right, but, but not all of them are strong and fast. No, not all of them are, but a wild stallion is, or any big strong horse. But when you take a wild stallion, and you do a process called breaking it, which does not mean to snap it in half, okay? But you break the horse. What is the purpose of breaking a horse? Go ahead. Get it to respond to you and only do what you want it to do. Okay, so get it to respond to you. I like that. Now, when you said only do what you want it to do, is that true 100% of the time? No, most of the time. No. Most of the time, the horse will respond to a bunch of people that are riding. Well, not necessarily. But when you break a horse, you are looking for it to accomplish something, right? Because if it's on the field, looks nice. There it is. I feed it. It costs me money. It does nothing for me. Right? It's an ornament in my yard, right? That's, that's what it is. Until I break the horse, which most horses need to be broken before they're, what, two or three years old? Or pretty much you're not going to get a good horse out of it. Yes, okay? 
It would, and they may not be functional, okay? So what you're looking for is to take that power that it has, and you're looking to harness it. Or put it under control. So I've watched videos of guys that broke teams of horses and or mules, and what they do, very first thing they do to it, is they take and hook up a great big huge weight, like a big loader tire. Because the first time that you get that harness on a horse. Isn't that somewhat dangerous though? It is absolutely dangerous. And when you put the harness on the horse, when you put the harness on the horse, why do you put the weight behind it? So it doesn't try to run away? What's it gonna do? It's gonna kick. It's gonna kick, it's gonna fight, and it's gonna run. Except when you put a great big weight on it, it says, oh man, this isn't like it used to be, right? When I could just run, now it's all hooked to this thing. And so what does it do? It tries and pulls it. It will try. And sometimes it'll give up. Okay? Some people, I've also seen them hook them to a steel line. Okay, like a steel arm that walks it around. So go ahead and fight all you want. You are just fighting against concrete and steel. You're not going to win it. You just keep pulling and fighting, and all they do is tire themselves out. Yeah, they're just going to walk in a circle. Okay, and they're going to push and push and push, and nothing's going to happen. I've also seen them hook them to the back of a tractor. Okay, because what is the tractor going to teach them? Well, we're going to move not just in a circle, right? We're going to move over here. You are going to go where I take you. Now, if I grab them and just walk them, yeah. have you ever tried to pull a horse that wants to go another way? Anybody ever done that? Yeah. You cannot do it when they do, when they do not want. Because they have how much more weight on you? I mean, they might be ten times your size and way stronger than you. So when they say, I don't want to, you can't do much about it. That's why big loader tires, tractors, steel, and things like that. And then when they finally realize, I might not win this battle, then you give it back to them. They get a little control. You take the harness off. And you do it again tomorrow. And then you do it again the next day. And you take the harness off, and you do it again, and again, and again, and again. And what do they learn? You're lost. Well, they learn, first of all, that you're not there to harm them. They are going to have to listen to you. And they're going to go the direction that you want them to go. Not okay? You're right. So the point of breaking them well. But there are people that can do it. There are people that can. I cannot break horses. I am not talented like that. But you need to be faithful and you need to be strong. And there are people that get on the back of a horse and break them, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> that's, that's a little dangerous. Okay. Right? He bought it, right? And they said it was not tamed at all. Yeah. So and he that, would sneak up behind and jump on his back, grab his hair, and try and force her to move. And that is not crazy. going to work out well most of the time. <laughs> yeah, I know it was funny. He always flew off and hit the fence, but one day right. he finally got her. Right. So 
if you continue to work with this with a wild horse, you still end up, okay, when, when you finally break this wild stallion, you end up with power under control. All right? And when you think it absolutely will work every time that you that you work at it and do and do a good job with it. Okay. So what is power under control? Power under control is meekness, gentleness. How do you describe a two thousand pound draft horse that just stands there and you say, "Go," and it goes, and it's got a lot of power. It could crush you at any moment. And yet, you say go, or you say stop, or you say gee, and it goes right, or haw, and it goes left. And you use the reins when they begin, but after a while, you don't even have to use the reins if you've trained them well enough. In fact, there were were people that I knew um, that I had done some things with that they had known some loggers that hooked their horse up they ran it where they wanted it to go. They cut down the tree. They hooked it up to the back of the horse team and said, go. And it would take it all the way to the spot and stop. Right to where it had to go and stop. Now, I once, with, with your grandfather, did some logging. It was much more exciting than that <laughs> when we did it, okay? Uh, the horses we were using at the time were nowhere near as trained as, at that. And when the, and when we said go, they went, and they <laughs> and they dug in hard and fast. And I had the reins. And if you've ever walked, we didn't have all the right stuff to do it. But we had a chain hooked around up to a uh, a whipple tree, which is connected behind it. So when we said go, they went. And then when you take a turn, the log rolls towards you. So you have to jump the log every time you do that, or be crushed under. And I still have both my feet. So, right? I had to so, jump on the log and run with the horse. That so cool. we were able to get them to a point of functionality. Not perfection for sure, but they did accomplish what we wanted. We pulled out some mighty, mighty heavy big logs out with the team. And they were very capable of it. And we didn't have an accident. We were able to do it, okay, over time from continuing to work with them, all right? It was exciting, but it was was an interesting time. Power under control. Remember that when you think of gentleness. Gentleness doesn't mean weakness. You have the ability to do what you want. Now... You are not a horse, just in case, if you didn't know, all right? So you are, you are a human, and so you don't have the strength of a horse. And not necessarily is God looking to uh, put under control your physical strength, although some people use that, and, and most everybody uses it in some way in their life. But you don't necessarily, not everybody has that gift of super physical strength, okay? So what is it that God wants you to be gentle with? How you act towards other people. How you act towards other people. That is absolutely right. We're going to start digging in to how you specifically act towards other people. So let's go to Proverbs chapter number 15. 
Verse number one, Abby, this one is a good one to start with. Assault, answer, turn, pulling, grab, foot, grievous, words, stir up, anger. All right. So, what is the effective way to communicate? I have been a part of big, expensive trainings, very expensive trainings, some that are 40 hours long on how to communicate, okay? And I also did a part one and a part two of that particular one, and that's not the only ones I've done, many of them on communication. And there were a bunch of different series that I was a part of, but this particular one I remember, and it was a good series. I learned quite a bit from it. Ultimately, what they did was picked out biblical principles. Shh, don't tell anybody, right? Because they sold it to business everywhere. But they picked out biblical principles, and they may not have even known it. They acted like, this is the big secret of how to communicate. Okay? We're going to put the formula together. And we're going to make sure. And what you do when you come up to... They, they, they surveyed all these great big businessmen. And they went through, in these, and they think they went to the top, what are they, Fortune 500 companies, right? The big, big ones. And they said, who's the most effective person on your staff? And be like, Kevin, you know. Everybody said, <laughs> Kevin does it. I don't know. So they studied Kevin. And, they, and I remember the story. They, they talked about this Kevin guy. And they studied Kevin. And they went, and they went to all these meetings. And they're like, Kevin's no big deal. What's going on with Kevin? Then all of a sudden, in one meeting, they found out what it was. Guess what happened? Kevin didn't say anything, but when he spoke up, he spoke up gently and kindly and firmly and told the truth. That was really what they found out, right? (laughs) Which doesn't seem revolutionary to me because... When they finally put it all together in a formula, they said, what you need to do when you go and approach a person, you've got a hard conversation to talk to somebody about, something you don't want to talk about. You put yourself in the other person's shoes, and they label it, you start with heart. In other words, (laughs) in other words, if you go to... The Bible, and it says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Start putting yourself in the other person's shoes. I mean, there's a hundred Bible verses that tell you how to do this already. They probably could have not spent millions on research and probably just could have come to the Bible because it's already there. But they found it out empirically, and guess what? The principles of the Bible hold right up, okay? In business and everywhere else. So here's the key piece. When someone comes up to you and confronts you and gets right in your face and wants to do something to get you annoyed, how do you respond? I just ignore them until they go away. Well... There, there are multiple ways to do it. And you can go on one end of the spectrum, okay, and you can go on, I'm going to ignore them. Okay. Really, I just turn around until they go away. And then you can go on the other end of the spectrum, and I'm going to yell at them. I'm going to get angry. 
grievous words, okay? When you do grievous words, grievous is, is another word essentially for anger. There is a third way you can do it. You can say, please leave me alone. You can. You can. There is a hundred different ways in between of words that you can say because there's not just one response you can have. But in between the turn my back and ignore and walk away and yell and scream in their face, there are some really good spots to be in, right in here, okay? <laughs> okay? It sort of looks like an eyeball in the center. Yeah, well, so you see what's happening, right? So the idea is that if you can have a meek answer, a gentle answer, a power under control answer, soft. That means your power that you have as a person. Okay? Your power. Many people think very highly of themselves that they have the ability to argue well. So basically they have a lot of pride. Mm-hmm. They do. But sometimes you gotta take the pride aside. Well, that's what you learn from the Holy Spirit is to do that and to say I can blow you apart in my theories and my words. I can be ten times more angry than you. You've never seen me blow up. I feel like, and I felt like this at that times in my past, like my I feel like a dam that is full of water ready to burst. You ever feel angry like that? Like I could just explode on you right now. That's and you'd be crushed under and you'd have no opportunity to survive if I really let loose on you. That'd be my uncle okay. if he's red, I'd be dead. But, but, you may have the power and the ability. And you may like to use that power and ability, that anger. But that's not what God says is the way that God acts. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. There is no anger. That's fruit of the Spirit, okay? Anger comes pretty natural to a lot of people, and most of the time, anger, there, though there can be righteous anger, it is not at the level of being able to turn someone away in a gentle response. It also will not gain you anything. So, your anger will actually, it can be addictive. Some people don't feel good until they've got a little bit of anger out in their life, in their day, in the, in the moment, right? They feel like they need to get anger out. And they actually get a little bit of endorphin, a little bit of high from it. That's kind of wrong. It is, but it is like many other addictions. The more you get that anger and you use it and you use it and you use it, you feel like you're, you've expressed yourself somehow. Really all you've done is hurt somebody, most all the time. My uncle probably probably like that. 
So, really, when you express your anger that way, that's not what God says to do. Because when you go back at them and yell at them, what are they doing in their head? Do you think they're listening to you? No, they're just probably going like, man, 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 what are they thinking? What are they thinking about? What are you thinking about when somebody's screaming at you? Probably just like... Stop. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Or how many of you have ever thought of something that you're saying could say back to them immediately? It's, it's right in your head, right? And you're formulating it. So they say, this is what's interesting about Americans. Americans don't listen. In general. As a culture, they don't listen to each other in a conversation. They just want to talk. They just want to be heard. And they want their point to get across regardless of what it is. Now what they said is other cultures are a little different. Cultures like the Japanese culture, when you listen to and they've done recordings of a, of a culture, cultural like Japanese conversation between two people, and they said... In the, in the Japanese culture, there's like 30% or sometimes 40 or 50% of silence. So they are listening and then formulating their words. Well, the Americans have like 0%. Because all they want to do while they're hearing what you're saying, they're not hearing what you're saying. They're making up what they're going to say next so they can immediately get their words out. Okay? Cultural difference, a lot of times, um, not all bad. Certainly we could learn a lesson or two along the way, but regardless if that's what you're thinking of, is I got to get this back. If you give them grievous words or angry words back, they are not thinking of Maybe he's right. They're not thinking of that at all. What is going to disarm them is when they know that you are a person that is a good person to listen to, when they know that you have things to say, and then you turn around, and though you could return them an angry response to them, you turn around and you give them a gentle answer, a soft answer kind answer. There was a man years ago uh, that I I went to horseshoeing school and learned from this guy. And he had a business on the side. He, he shoed horses. And he horses need a steel uh, Oftentimes, a steel shoe on the bottom of their foot. So if you look at their foot, okay, it looks like that. The hoof wall goes around the edge like that, okay? And what you do is you take a steel shoe and you put it right on top of that and you and cover it. And sometimes steel shoes will actually have nails in them. They do have nails in them. You drive nails up the sides of them, they come out the hoof wall, you bend them over, and you clinch them down, and you file them off. That's how it's held on. Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that actually hurt the horse? It does not hurt the horse. No, no wow. not if you do it correctly. How well, go mean? learn to be a farrier. <laughs> there's a specific spot you have to drive them, okay? So there's something 
in here, this is all exposed area. Now, it's kind of a hard sole, and it's called the white sole. Uh, and you take a knife and you peel it, um, and you kind of keep it clean because if it gets hit by a stone and a stone gets stuck in there, it can bruise. And the bruise will come all the way up their foot and eventually come out, and it may come out as an abscess in the top, okay? Most people don't put pads in between their shoes and their white sole, but some people do. Now, a lot of people believe that if you stick a pad in there, stuff gets in, in between the foot and the pad and just makes it worse, okay? It surely can. It surely can. And a lot of people don't believe it. But there are people that say, these pads are so soft. Don't you think you're, don't you love your horse? Don't you think your horse should have softness on the bottom of his feet all yeah, the time? That basically sounds like they're trying to get you to buy it. Oh, no, no, no. It's because you love your horse. It's so soft. Exactly. I mean, don't you want the step to be soft when they step on the ground? I mean, you don't want hard stones to get up in there, do you? And bruise their feet and abscesses. So soft. So, and you, can, and you can say, well, no, 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 I wouldn't buy that. Except he had a best friend who was a farrier as well, my, my teacher's best friend. My teacher did not believe in pads whatsoever. There was a very rare occasion that he would put a pad on a horse for a specific ailment that it would have. This guy put pads on everybody's horses. Why? Because Why? he said they're soft. And he talked just like this. And if you love your horse, which I know you do. I don't have a horse no more. Well, how much did he make? He made an extra 20 bucks a foot every time he put on a pad, right? Because you love your horse, Abby, though, right? I mean, right? Isn't that why? Really? I mean, so... It's true, and I wouldn't do it either, but every time this man went up and talked to a customer about how soft the pads are, he used the same voice, it was very soft, it was very kind and thoughtful. Well, he's, he is using the power of his soft answer to do what he wants with it. And he's getting 90% of the people to put pads on their horses and making a little cash on the side with it. It never hurt the horse to do it, but it hurt the guy's wallet, I guess, every time to do it. So. Either way, it's effective in its communication. But what if, what if someone shows up and says, the, your pad did not work and it hurt my horse? It didn't. They didn't because they loved their horse. And that's what he said every time. Yeah, so what if they go, you don't hear about my horse, but I don't want rocks that can't Understood. Understood. But that's not how he did it. He was able to make a whole business out of it. So you could ask him someday. Either way, softness in your answer makes a difference. Okay? Softness makes a difference for what you're going to do. If you want to defuse a bomb, if, for instance, your mother comes to you and she is angry at you because you have done something terrible. What did you do? 
I don't know, but it was bad, okay? <laughs> and she's upset at you, and she's frustrated, and she's had a long day, and she's tired of this all, and you've done this a thousand times. Are you feeling a little on edge yet? My mom's dad said I wouldn't apply to Because the answer back from you, if you want to diffuse it, should be soft should be gentle. You can argue. You've got the power to argue. But if you keep your power under control, that's God at work in you. Alright? That's God at work in you when you can diffuse someone that's angry. And it will help you in your job, in your school, with a teacher, with your home, when someday when you have all the little Bobs or Xerxes or whomever you're going to have, okay, it will help you. Because your children, someday, you think it's funny what you do to your parents today? Oh, just wait. Because they will be so good at it. And they can do it relentlessly. Have a few, and they'll show you. Okay? Have one of the right one, and they'll show you how relentless they are. Okay? So, they, they can't push every one of your buttons. You better learn by then how to have a soft answer. Okay? Because they don't know it. They only know how to escalate. They escalate, they escalate because everything gets crazy to yelling immediately, right? Because mm -hmm. we've all been there, right? We've all been there. You take that soft approach, the gentle approach, not because you're weak, but because you know better. Okay? You have the power to do it, you can argue. But you understand there's something bigger at stake. And so you choose not to. Alright? First, that's the first one. That's gentleness. Okay. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 28. 28, 29, and 30, please. Read that. Matthew 11, 28, 29, and 30. Come unto me, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Okay. This is Jesus talking. And this is Jesus' quality. What is Jesus doing for you in these verses? What is he doing for you? It doesn't say it in the words, and yet it says it in the words. You have to understand something about what a yoke is. Okay, so let's start with what a yoke is first. They put it, you put it on cows, right? It's like you, a, yeah, you put it on like oxen, okay? And I know it's a terrible thing, but it's you get the idea here. And you hook up the load in the center, 
and one oxen neck goes there and the other oxen neck goes there and you bear the burden on their necks and their shoulders and they pull and they're able to pull a load and hold a load. Okay, that's the point of a yoke. It's only mentioned once in there, right? My burden is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Is that really true? Well, not for Jesus, it's not. So what is he doing? Back to my question. He's saying, come unto me. And what is he going to do for you? All, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Give you rest in a yoke. Okay, so he is carrying the burden. Why? says it right in there. It's one of the key words we're learning about tonight. Because he's meek. Because he has his power under control. He is not, he can't, he does not require to carry your load. But he chooses to do it. And he chooses to make it easy for you if you join up with him. He says, I will carry it for you, really. I will bear the burden for you. I have all the power to do what I want. I am not required to carry your burden. And someday, I hope that each of you, if you have not learned to do so at this point, will learn to love someone in this life, whether it be a child or a husband or a wife or a best friend or whomever, I hope you will learn that there is something bigger and that when you love someone, you carry burdens for them. You do things because you care about them. Now that doesn't mean you give them everything. But he gives you rest when you come to him. He could say, go ahead, carry your own burden. Because you deserve it. And truthfully, I do. And what burden does he carry that's the heaviest in this life? Well, he takes it out. It's our sin. He takes our burden of our sin on, right? That's the heaviest. Now, there are other burdens in this life that he helps us with as well. But he says, if you walk with me, if you willingly put your neck there, which means you can't get away, but we're going forward together. I'll carry you. I'll hold the burden. I'll do the big job. I don't need to. I wasn't in this yoke before. I helped you with your yoke. And I made it my yoke. That's why he says my yoke is easy and my burden's light. Because I'm holding it for you. But I hope someday you have enough maturity in your life to understand that. Whether you have children or whatever it is, that you understand that there is something that you do and act like this. To have gentleness towards your children. And not just scream at them. It's easy to scream at your kids. Because they're going to push every button you ever had and they're going to find a hundred you didn't know you had. Truthfully. Kids are really good at that. 
Yeah, especially if they just come up to you in a in a car and start poking you. You can't do it. They know. They know how to bug you. Whatever it is that gets you. But if you can learn to have a gentle response to people, which is not weak, and it doesn't mean that you give up on things that you believe in, it just means that you keep your power in check. You keep yourself under control. You keep your words right. Jesus says, I am meek and lowly of heart. In other words, I'm willing to carry this with you. Because my care for you is greater. I understand what I get out of this relationship with you. Okay? Takes work with some. I have some children more than others that take a lot more work just to keep them even keeled. They take a lot more intense relationship. They take a lot more of your time and you go back and back and back and back and back to the same lesson again and again and again and by increments little teeny tiny increments sometimes you see progress and you say this is I have to do this because I love this kid not because I think I'm a good parent but because there's something that drives me deeper you learn that in life, and you say, I'm okay to be gentle. I don't have to be top dog all the time. I might be, but I don't have to be. Jesus didn't claim his power and say, you bow down. He says, I'll bow down lower to pick you up. I'll bend over lower. I'll get down with you and pick you up. Okay? It takes true maturity to have have any of these things. But gentleness is one of those ones that's not very popular because our society does not look at it as a good thing. Because they think if you're the loudest and the pushiest and you push your way to the top, you're going to get more. And we will find out that is not true. Alright. Let's move on. Isaiah chapter 40. Here's something specific. You should know Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 11 and 12. This is an interesting one that I appreciated uh, later in life. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11 and 12, please. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd, and he shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom. And so, don't leave me those that are young. Verse 12, please. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. Alright, here is him. Here is God. God, it says, measured the waters in the hollows of his hand. He put the ocean in his hand. That's pretty powerful, right? I can't do that. You can't do that, even though if you think you can, you can't, okay? Everybody ever taken a handful of ocean water? Doesn't look like very much after you've taken it out of the ocean. I've been to the Pacific and the Atlantic, and nope, not much. There's a whole lot out there still. 
I'm sure there are many, many. I don't know what. All right, so that's God. He measured the heavens, and we can't even measure it in light years, okay? Using the speed of light, if we got there, it would take us 493 years. Great, so we'll all be dead before we get there, right? Even if we could travel at light speed. Yes, and Yep, you never know. It would take a long time to get there. So the point is this. God is big and powerful, and yet the verse before didn't sound like that. What was he talking about in verse 11? Gently leading which sheep? Okay, the ones, well, specifically, what does it say? The ones that are with young, which are what? The parents with young children. Okay? I think in here, God specifically, in the overall arching promise and understanding of what this means, it means God cares about the littlest details of your life. The big God that measures out the hand, the oceans in his hands and measures the stars out comes down and says, I care about the hard details of your daily life as a human. As a parent, in a home, I care about them. I care about those, and I have a specific, gentle way to lead those with young. In other words, when you are vulnerable, when you are at your hardest time in your life, God is paying very close attention to what that is. He walks you through. And how does he do it? Get over here, sheep. No, 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 no. Help you up. Let me get you over here. Let's take the time you need to get there. He's gentle. Is he more powerful? He absolutely is, but he does not need power. He does not need to show it. By being gentle, he is much more powerful because he has his power under control. Right? keeps his power in check by the way he treats us all right even as a family he specifically knows the dynamics in your family in my family in everybody's family and how it goes and it ain't always pretty okay but he knows the dynamics and he specifically says i'm i'm going to be gentle with you during those toughest times i'm going to be gentle with you. I care about what's going on. I care about your thoughts and your words. And when you don't feel like anybody listens to you ever, and when you don't feel like you matter, I know you're there and I'm paying attention to you. That's how gentle he can be. He doesn't steamroll over anybody. He understands and he reaches down in. All right? Next one here. So that was God and how he treated us. Now, how are we supposed to treat others? 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 24. And 25, please. What are we supposed to do according to gentleness? And we learned about a soft answer, and that's an important part. That's a big part of control in our mouths. 
okay, our thoughts. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, please. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, as to teach patience. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Alright, so we have a job to do. God has asked us in these fruits of the Spirit specifically to be meek, to be gentle. Towards whom? That's the person described on, I think it's the second verse we read, the very first part. Was it? Yes. Those that oppose themselves. Have you ever met a person that is obstreperous? Ooh, I can't spell it. It's been a long time. <laughs> Might be one B. Obstreperous means that no matter what you say, they are going to oppose you. They might even oppose themselves. Because they are argumentative. That's also what obstreperous means. They are argumentative. Many of us think, if I just argue the right argument with that type of person... I'll win. It's not true. It's not true. I have argued with many people, many things. Most everything I've ever argued about has never turned a person's heart. I had a good friend many years ago who was a Jehovah's Witness in high school. And we had disagreements on several things in the Bible. And we took a, one of our English teachers let us use a classroom for several hours after school, several different times, and we sat down and did arguments from the Bible, just he and I. And my thought was, if he just sees this, he'll turn. And I was telling him truth. All the things I could show him. And they were right. But when he got to the very end of our last argument, he basically said, well, I guess we've argued all we can argue about. And we kind of walked away. And at that point, I thought, well, that was kind of a waste. I can show him the right way a thousand times, but it wouldn't do as much as just being a good friend to him. As being kind to him. And it's not that I was unkind to him, but I thought this, if I just showed him this right way, if I could just get him to understand it, it was not about the understanding of the right argument that he needed. It was just about the kindness, the gentleness. That was much more powerful. Saw him years later in Home Depot, my favorite place, 
And uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just, <laughs> maybe people love it. That's fine. Um, and I asked about his family and his kids, and thought to myself, I wonder if I would have had a different approach to him that would have been a different conversation today or might have been connected through the years or might have had more impact I don't know and like I said it was not that I was unkind to him but maybe if I'd have had deeper understanding at the time I'd have been able to do more that's what this is saying that's what this verse is saying you as a servant of God must not strive do not argue not that you can't show people the way, but do it in kindness and love. Be aware of your motives about things. Be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient. And that's where it comes down. You should be willing to teach, not in that I know more, but in that I care about you enough to show you the way. Careful. Just be careful. Because you never know, it says, those, even those who oppose themselves, those who are argumentative, they might, God might use that. Peradventure, it says, which is that old English word, says, just perhaps, maybe, God will use your gentleness to turn someone's heart. You can argue a thousand times over. You can create arguments, and there are people that do apologetics Okay, Robbie Zacharias was one of those great guys who just died just a few months back. Did apologetics across the world, but he says it's not about the apologetics, it's about the person. And he, he knew people, it says he knew people that he had met once, ten years before he knew their name. I don't know how he did it. It's a gift that God obviously gave him specifically, but there was care in it. And then he came up and said, Hi, Barbara. How are you doing? And that person who had only met him once, a decade before, was shocked that he cared enough to know their name. Use what you have. And give it to people the way you can. Take the power you have and put it under control. Be gentle with what you have. All right. One last verse as we finish up here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. And you say, okay, well, I do all of this, and what am I going to get out of this? This is just a lot of work. All right? And people are just going to look at me as weak. Right? People are going to say, well, they didn't stand up for what they... And, and you may have people that say that. But this is what Jesus says about gentle people or meek people. Chapter 5 is a very famous one in the book of Matthew. Chapter 5, verse number 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Okay? What are you going to get if you're gentle? The earth. Is that big enough for you? Right. You own it. Gentle people own the earth. Why is it? They do better in relationships. They do better in business. They do better in churches. They do better at their jobs. They do better selling things. They do better buying things. They do better in life in general. Because instead of 
always trying to be right and trying to show somebody up. They are gentle and kind and they are able to get much more out of life. Their relationships are deeper. They didn't have to show that person they were right. They may have known they were right, but it was not about being right. It was about having their power under control. That wild stallion that says, I can do something with it, rather than just run around in the field and look pretty all day. Who cares? That's useless in this life. Technically not if you're telling them to do it for a portrait. Well, that's about it. Okay? <laughs> but a portrait of a broken, useful horse is also a great portrait. Okay? A much better one. And you can use it. All right? So the idea is this. Do not pass by this thing of gentleness without thinking about it and applying it to your life. Again, not something that's talked about a lot. But we see Jesus was. We know God is. He cares about us. He treats us with gentleness. He tells us to treat others with gentleness. And he says, and when you treat others with gentleness, you've got the world by the tail. It's the only verse, it's the only one that he says it. You will inherit the earth. It's going to be yours. If you choose to be gentle. All right? I didn't make those words up. Jesus said them. There's something very powerful about gentleness. That great big draft horse, he's 2,200 pounds. He could crush me in a moment, but instead he chooses to do good things with it, with his power. You can be one of those. Somebody useful. Somebody... God will use in many ways. Maybe God just might add that to your account. That person that he says, per adventure I use that person. I use your gentleness to turn that. Might be the most effective thing you have in your life. Alright, thank you very much. Have a good day.